1: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
2: Buckets, boards, and blocks is ready to tip. And today's guest needs no introduction. She is Lady Magic herself, Nancy Lieberman, and I am fangirling, tripping. I'm so excited to have her. If you loved the late, great Muhammad Ali the icon that he was, you will be fascinated by the story of Nancy and Muhammad's friendship. But first, Darlene, girl, let's run it. Buckets, Boards & Blocks is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Buckets, Boards & Blocks is hosted by a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a well-executed fade screen and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. A lover of threes in transition, Monica McNutt. Darlene and friends, welcome to the show. In a few minutes, we've got a classic hour of great stories from the legendary Nancy Lieberman. She's a living legend and a true inspiration. She's just so great. I can't wait for you guys to hear this conversation. But first, we've got some business to attend to, namely the very exciting WNBA playoffs. Bruce, my guy, my sidekick, let's break it down.
3: All right, Monica, so last night, game four of the Mystics and the Aces, what were your thoughts?
2: Okay, so let's rewind back to game three and the post-game interview with my friend uh, that covers Big East hoops uh, for FS1, Kim Adams, where Liz Cambage very, what's the adjective that I want, Bruce? Matter-of-factly, we'll call it. Talked a little trash in her post-game interview, telling the Mystics that if they can't handle it, then maybe they should get in the weight room. Oh, boy, 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 boy. The Mystics absolutely responded. And so last night, I actually thought that the Aces were poised to pull out a W watching the first quarter of action. But I think by about the third quarter, to me, it just looked like Christy Tolliver was back in her bag the original way that she was prior to going out with that knee injury. Once Emma Mieseman was able to catch and shoot as opposed to having to try to attempt to create a shot, Emma is literally a walking bucket. Like she does not miss. Um, And so I was like, Oh, the aces might be a little bit outmatched on this one. You just saw the veterans of the mystics sort of take over. And then you realize that they just were not going to be denied having been swept last year in the finals.
3: You know, Liz definitely showed up. I mean, she left it all out there. She had 25 and 12. Dierica Hamby had a really nice game 18, 11 and seven. But I think the person who really kind of let the aces down a little bit was Asia Wilson. I mean, she only took four shots. She only made one. And, you know, she's a great player and everyone respects her, but only four field goal attempts in a in a closeout game? You know, that's it
2: it's giving me shades of some of the conversation that we had in the other semifinal matchup with Candace Parker, the Sparks, and the Connecticut Sun, and Candace only playing eleven minutes in what was turned out to be their elimination game. I don't think it's quite the same, but you do have that moment where you wonder who's gonna show up big. Um, I don't think Asia and Liz both being on at the same time, is still a little bit puzzling for that group.
3: I I really felt like, you know, when you talked about, you know, showing up, I mean, Christy Tolliver, I mean, what a floor game she had. I mean, she had 20, she had nine dimes. She only had two turnovers. And it's so funny. You know how numbers can be deceiving. If you looked at the box score for that game, right? Vegas was plus 10 on rebounds. They were plus four in free throws made, minus five in turnovers. You know, those numbers were sort of like, you know, the turnovers really, I guess, is the number that kind of killed them, right? Losing by, you know, just a couple of buckets. Definitely the turnovers. And I think when you look at three-point
2: shooting, that was a margin that the Mystics capitalized on. Emma Miesman at one point, I think she hit back-to-back threes. Um, I, sh- I think she hit like four shots in a row, but two of them were threes over the course of that. But I also think if you look back at the regular season, the Mystics manhandled the Aces. I mean, they manhandled most of the teams in the league. In fact, last night, they showed that they had zero games won by margins of five points, but they had won 19 games by at least 10 or more. Um, but I think you got to see Elena Deladon, Christy Tolliver, Emma Mieseman, even Natasha Cloud hit some big-time shots for the Mystics lock in into that next level of, comp- of competition. Anytime I'm talking to a team on any level, college pro, and they're accustomed to blowing people out, you always kind of ask, well, how are you guys measuring one another? And I think when you look at Tebow and that Mystics group, they're measuring one another by how, how well they do what they do. And so I think last night after they made a few defensive adjustments and started sending that second person over to Liz and Emma Miesemann got a couple blocks in on Liz down the stretch in that ball game, you really saw them gel. And then the joy of competition kind of took over.
3: I really felt there were like two points in the game that I would really thought were turning points. About halfway through the second quarter, uh, Vegas went up by 10. Then Tolliver hits a three, cuts it to seven. Miseman comes into the game and then you know, Deladon, Cloud, Miesemann scored, cut it to two. And then Washington's defense just locked them down the last half of the second quarter. And they actually ended up leading by two points at the half. So there was that. And then I thought early fourth, you mentioned it a minute ago, Miesemann scored like eight points in about a minute 15. And then, you know, Vegas kept battling. But I mean, I felt Miesemann really broke their back and broke their, you know, basically that that kind of... <sighs> It didn't break their spirit, but it really kind of put them in a tough spot at that point.
2: It's it's so deflating. I mean, I don't know what it is. Like, you expect Elena Deladon, the MVP, to go get buckets. You know Christy Tolliver is a WNBA champion, is a seasoned vet. But something about Emma Mieseman, and we talked with Hannah last week on the pod, she was one of those players that was listed on that most underrated list when you talk to players around the league. And I think she poses a little bit of a matchup problem. And maybe you might even use that term sneaky athletic, although her game is not necessarily predicated on athleticism, but she's a sneaky bucket because she's very efficient at what she does. So I'm super excited for the matchup. Moving forward, it's crazy that these two teams are back because I remember Connecticut coming into D.C. and playing at the sports and entertainment arena right after Laisha Clarendon had gone down with the knee injury that ultimately cost her the season, and the sun got waxed. In hindsight, the Mystics waxed a lot of people, but I just remember thinking, wow, like, this group looks crazy. Um, But having an opportunity to talk to some of those players they never wavered in their confidence in one another. And I think that's why they're here. You see, you got to be real careful what you say about the sun, Bruce, because it will end up as bulletin board material via their Twitter or their Instagram page. And they will not let it go.
3: Well, you know, these are the two teams that had the best record regular season in the league. So I think it's kind of the matchup that people who follow the, the, the league are really sort of anticipating. And that, that, 43 point blowout at the end of june i mean that was the worst one of the worst losses ever in the w as far as margin of victory but that was also during connecticut had kind of that midseason lull where they got off to a really good start then they kind of stumbled that was during their low point and they kind of got it together so it was two to one the season series right connecticut won the first two then there was that one so who do you like who's winning this thing
2: you know it's tough And I do run the risk of becoming bulletin board material. I love the arc of Jasmine Thomas's career. I think she's an all-star, whether she's voted into that position or not. We had John Quill Jones on our podcast. Courtney Williams, how can you not get behind the energy that she brings? Natisha Heidemann was one of my favorite covers uh, in the Big East last year, competing with Marquette. Alyssa Thomas and I go back to competing at Georgetown in Maryland, and I can so appreciate what she's been able to do with two torn labrums because I have a partially torn labrum in college as well, so I know that's a beast. Uh, Kurt Miller's fantastic. I'm going to blame this one on my homerism. No, I'm not. Part of it is homerism. The other part of it is just an analyst. I just think the Mystics are not going to be denied. I mean, I think the when you look at the matchups – Tebow has said it. Emma Mieseman was the missing link. If she plays with the efficiency that we saw, particularly in the second quarter, I mean, the second half, excuse me, of that game last night, or even what we saw in game one and two, where she put up 27 and 30, respectively. I I don't know what Connecticut has for that.
3: I I agree. I mean, I like Connecticut. I live in Connecticut. I'm kind of a homer, although I certainly respect, you know, the, the mystics. I think you're right. I I think it's uh, it's uh, Washington probably in five. Well,
2: I'll take it in five. I definitely think we can go five. But uh, you got the MVP. I mean, it's going to be a great series. And that's the one thing I did really, really enjoy about the Vegas uh, Washington series. There was a part of me that was very much rooting for a game five because I thought it had just been that good. Um, And so I, I love where we are in terms of the quality of the game. And at this point, it should be high quality. We're at the finals. It's for all the marbles. That was dope. <laughs> the term legend doesn't do Nancy Lieberman justice. She's a New Yorker to the core, born in Brooklyn and grew up in far Rockaway, Queens. Her journey started on the playgrounds of the city and has taken her all over the world. She won two national championships at Old Dominion won the Wade Trophy as a player of the year twice, was a three-time Kodak All-American, and won Olympic silver in the 1976 Olympics at the age of 18, becoming the youngest hooper in Olympic history to win a medal. Nancy played in the WNBA at age 39, and then she made a comeback at age 50. She's played against men on the Lakers Summer League team and also in the now-defunct USBL. She was a member of the Washington Generals and played against the Harlem Globetrotters. She's been a head coach and GM in the WNBA, an assistant coach in the NBA, and is the head coach of Power, the very first big three championship team. Tragically, one of her players from Power, Andre Emmett, was killed on Sunday, several days after we recorded our interview with Nancy. Here was her tribute to Andre, courtesy of WFAA TV in Dallas.
0: Extraordinary uh, young man. I feel honored to have gotten to know him the way I have the last two years. We've probably spent more time on airplanes talking about, you know, family, children, life, his goals, his dreams. I was working out when I got a phone call, and they said that uh, Andre Emmett died. And I'm like, No, he didn't. I'm gonna be with him in a few hours. And, and I called over to the league, and I then I called Katino. Mobley, and he had not heard yet. I talked to him Friday, and I was going to take him today uh, to get his knee shot. We were supposed to go to China um, with the big three uh, the end of October. And uh, I was joking with him. I go, you're a big baby. You're six foot five. I got to hold your hand at the doctor. But we were friends. And um, he was just so, so deep and so caring. And he loved his children. And he loved his mom and his family. He he had a love for for kids, and he wanted to use his platform to help people. And I admire I admired him, you know. He was a really great role model. Um, I talked to Coach Knight this morning, um, and his wife Karen, and they were heartbroken. You know, he we were talking about Bobby, and uh, Andre said he goes, I didn't know what Coach Knight meant to me when I was playing because he was so hard on me he goes but he's helped make me the man that I am today. We should pray for his family because Andre Emmett was a, a young man who really wanted to to be a force away from basketball and change the world and he wanted to affect the lives of people he didn't even know. He didn't care if they were white or black or Hispanic, Latino, you know, Asian. He just wanted to You know, he looked he would always call me his mentor. His mom just said that, you know, Andre told her about our phone conversation last week about partnering and doing things charitably. We just lost a really great person.
2: Andre Emmett was a great person indeed. I can actually remember his days at Texas Tech under Coach Knight. So certainly prayers to all of his family. Thanks again to WFAA TV in Dallas for that clip. Nancy Lieberman is a member of the Basketball Hall of Fame, the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame, and several others. And she is a basketball analyst, having worked for ESPN and Fox Sports. Nancy has been a pioneer in the game of basketball and also with her off-the-court activities. In our wide-ranging discussion with Nancy, she discussed her latest pioneering moment, appearing in the ESPN body issue at the tender age of 61. Nancy, I am slightly fangirling. Welcome to Buckets, Boards & Blocks. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, Just to jump right into this conversation recently, the news, the body issue, let's just start there. How did that come to be?
1: Well, it's an absolute honor uh, to have been selected, but I was uh, at NBA Summer League. I was at a uh, board meeting to the NBRPA when I got a phone call a year ago July saying that I had been selected. So what I did is I said, Look, I will accept this honor, but I need to uh I need to run it by my son. And he was playing summer league with the Milwaukee Bucks. So that was part of the, the whole deal here is I needed to make sure TJ was comfortable with his mother doing this. And he was very supportive. And I agreed to do it. So I guess they didn't have anybody on the female side who was, um, was older. They had Serena Williams might've been around 34 on the men's side. You know, Gary player was in his seventies. Greg Norman was in his sixties and Jerry Rice was, I think 55, but we had never had a woman who was kind of my age, you know what I mean?
2: I totally know what your name... Of. Okay, but sis, tell me, did you go on Whole30 Keto? Because the abs, Nancy? you was coming with the abs? <laughs> no, I don't,
1: I don't diet. Uh, you know, I was a little bit more strict with my food portions and, you know, laying... Not that I eat a lot of uh, pastas and, and things like that, but I, I was a little bit more strict with what I was eating. I wanted to make sure, you know, I had my own goal. And my goal was if you covered our cases, which is the 60 year old and which is the 25 year old. And that was something that was very important to me.
2: Well, as the saying goes, you read the youngsters. I mean, it was so incredible. When it hit, it's coming down Twitter and I just remember seeing it. And of course, every time I hear your name, growing up, loving the WNBA, Um, There's always like a smile innately because I'm like, that's the lady that played with the men like she was ahead of the curve in terms of breaking barriers before we could even kind of pronounce what that was as young girls, because you just made it look like the thing to do. So with that in mind, Nancy, and I've watched a ton of different YouTube videos on you. I've read about you, your love story with basketball. I know you started playing around nine up in New York.
1: Yeah, it was. You know, my first sport was uh, football and about seven, eight years old and uh, I played in a tackle football league and then I started playing baseball and I was playing PAL baseball until unfortunately uh, before our first game I was told that I could not play because they wouldn't insure me because I was a girl and that was the first time I had ever felt, I didn't know if the word was discrimination at the time, but it was more disappointment. And I walked into a local, like a YMCA, and I said, can I play here? And they said, yes. And I said, can I play on a boys team? And they said, yes. And that was the beginning of everything for me. And uh, I never looked back. Uh, You know, Monica, what I do is normal to me. It's just not normal to the outside world. And for my friends and the young women in the WNBA, which I deeply admire, they don't have to break the glass ceiling. They don't have to be a trailblazer. They don't have to be a pioneer. All they have to do is be ready to play the game at the highest level, respect and attack the game with their greatness. Um, my generation, you know, kind of laid down that yellow brick road, you know, the, the Ann Myers, the Blaze Jowski's, the Wooders, the Millers, myself. So they could have what they have today. And I'm thrilled.
2: Is nothing short of admirable, beautiful. I mean, you are a hall of famer for good reason. But Nancy, in the midst of all of this, I mean, I know at your core you identify yourself as a basketball player and I totally get that. But was it tiring, like how, Like it was normal to you, but it wasn't normal to the outside world. So how did you sort of navigate the mentally taxing aspect of it? Because I'm sure you weren't always welcomed with open arms, as you just mentioned.
1: Well, I wasn't always welcomed with open arms, but I also knew that this is what I love to do. And And honestly, I never was a kid that got caught up in all those like mind games. I call them mind monsters. They want me they don't want me I'm a girl they all I knew is that I was bullied you know you're a tomboy the words hurt me because I needed sports more than sports needed me and I was a poor kid um, from a one-parent family you know growing up with no father and no food no electricity sometimes no heat and we were one grandparents away from food stamps So what I was doing was very important to me. It was building my confidence, my self-esteem, my decision-making. And quite frankly, sports made me feel good about me. When they said, we'll pick the girl, that was almost like saying, you love me. And those are things that I was not getting at home. So everybody, as I mentioned, has something in their life. And I'm really grateful that sports filled a void because I could have joined the game. I could have carjacked you. I could have, de- you know, I could have done, you know, been stealing and doing things that other kids were doing. But I I I fell in love with this game and it is a great love story by the way. It's it's never abandoned me. It's never hurt me. It's only loved me this game of basketball. And I'm trying to give that same love um same love back to the game and you, you you don't grow up wanting to be a Hall of Famer or an Olympian or a trailblazer or whatever those nice words are. I played basketball because it, it, it was fun. I was with friends. It made me feel good. And I hope every kid still
2: does that. Gosh, you're, you're, you're so incredible. I'm just loving this conversation as you talk about it. It is very simple. And I too, subscribe to the idea that as long as you're true to the game the game will be true to you as well but now that you've gone into so many directions with the game nancy whether it be coaching um at the big three the nba wba whatever it is did you struggle to relate to other athletes at all because i find right like we talk about um these elite achievers which you are um and then everybody is not as talented or not as driven or even as focused as you like did you struggle in terms of what your demands were amongst those that were in your circle?
1: No, I I keep it as simple as possible. Um, I'm just a a normal person. I go out, I do my business. Um, You know, at that point in my life, my whole focus was just being a great basketball player. Um, Where I am today, and and I'm more of a minimalist, Um, so the first part of my life I was learning. The middle part of my life I started to earn. And then at this part, I'm returning. So it's learning, earning, returning. And that's how I've lived my life. And, you know, I was lucky because when I didn't have any supporters or female role models, you know, all my role models were African-American men. You know, Walt Frazier, Willis Reed, uh, Dr. J, and, and my ultimate hero, Muhammad Ali. Those guys were the focal point of who I wanted to be. And it wasn't really until I... You know Ali and I met in uh, 79 um, we were both the athletes ironically making an appearance at the New York Stock Exchange for the Olympic Committee it was a fundraiser and Old Dominion had just won their first national championship and I was player of the year and but Ali was my man and I couldn't breathe when I was in the room with him and it was crazy I mean my mom goes up to him and starts hugging him. Mr. Muhammad, you know, with her New York accent, my daughter is the, the greatest of all times. And he's like, look, lady, there's only one greatest of all time, and it's me. And she's like, no, I know you're good, but my daughter, she is the greatest. And he calls me over and he goes, your mom says you're the greatest. And I'm like, or he says, you know, your mom says you're really good. And I go, no, you know, and I was really, I couldn't even look at him because I was like shaking. And I go, no, Mr. Muhammad, you know, I'm not out. And I'm bumbling and stumbling. I go, I'm the greatest of all times. (laughs) And he looks at me and hugs me and he goes, there's two of us. And I'm like, yeah, 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 there's two of us. And I hit people too. And he goes, I'm going to ask you not to hit people. And what I said to him was, you hit people. He goes, I get paid to hit people. He goes, Nancy, you can't beat up everybody that hurts your feelings. I said, but they make me feel bad, Mr. Muhammad. They make fun of me and they tell me I'm stupid and dumb and I'm never going to make anything of myself. He goes, God made you special. He goes, there's something about you that's different. And I said, how do you know that? You know God too? Muhammad Ali knows God?
2: <laughs> I was so
3: stupid. Oh my gosh, I love that. I got a little Jewish mother too, just like you got a little Jewish mother. And they always think that their baby is the greatest of all time. But, you know, so I guess I guess we have that in common, right?
1: Yeah, a- absolutely. But he was funny because, you know, he he was great. I mean, he looked at, at me and he knew I was like a broken, fraudulent little kid. Not that I was little. But he knew, and and we sat there that one day, and he says to me, "There'll never be a day that I'm not in your life." And I was like, "But you're Muhammad Ali," and he goes, "That's right, I am, and we are going to be friends for life." And true to his word, to the day we buried him three years ago, June, he was every major thing in my life. I could at least run it by him, whether it's playing in, uh, you know, playing for the Lakers in '80. Uh, in the summer league and Pat Riley being my coach or, you know, going and playing in uh, the WNBA at 39 or 50. And the joke used to be with me, uh I, later on in life, I'd come over to the house in Phoenix and I would sit there and I'm like, Muhammad, you know, I've come out of retirement more than you. And Lonnie, Ali would sit there and go, he's been waiting all day for you. And that's what you said. You tell him. <laughs> and you know he'd give me that you know biting his lips and kind of balling up his his hands and i you know i'm really i'm really fortunate um i know when i walk out of my house clearly you know who i am what i am and what i represent but that's not always how i feel i feel very humbled and very honored to be in a position that i am in cuz i get to influence people's lives um I get to help people be introspective, make them laugh, make them cry, and just make them come tomorrow better than they were today. And it's it's an honor.
3: I got one more mom question and then I'll, I'll get out of Monica's way for a little bit. So you were saying when you were talking to Ali that you hit people. And I think you told me a story one time about when you would go up to Harlem to play ball on the playground and your mom was worried about you and she said, Nancy, you know, be careful, whatever, or, or, you know, I'm worried about you. And you told her, don't worry, mom, I won't hurt any of those guys. (laughs) That's really kind of your spirit, isn't it?
1: It's, it well obviously i was either stupid or oblivious uh to you know my surrounding areas but i would you know i would take t-shirts i'd put it in my jacket when i rode the train a train um you know from far way to uh to to, to Rucker park i would switch switch chains uh switch uh, the trains in the uh in the city And then I'd get off at 155th and walk into the park, but I had a jacket and guys would look at me like little girl, you know, little redheaded Jewish kid, skinny girl. Are you lost? I said, no, are you? (laughs) And it was do it to them before they did it to me. And they're like, you know where you are? I said, yeah, Rucker Park. And then the guy who was talking to me, I said, is your name Rucker? He goes, no. I said, good. It ain't your park. And I want to play and I heard you were good and and I want to be really good and and I need you to help me be good. You know, it it was really, you know, pretty unbelievable how I was treated. Those guys would ride the train home with me, Ronald, Donald and Gary, and they just make sure I got home safe. And it wasn't the day of, you know, like, hey, I'm texting you. I'm going to be there at 510. You had to pick you had to pick the the train, the time. I would have to call on my landline to their landline. I mean, we had to do it the old fashioned way, communication. So that that was really important and they they really cared about me and I appreciate, you know, how much they were willing to help me. You know, everybody needs support and, and the guys, you know, the African-American guys in, in uh, Harlem, they celebrated me they didn't tolerate me. And that, that was very important where, you know, uh, honestly, some white people were telling me, you know, they were so negative to me and telling me what I couldn't be. You can't do this. You can't do that. You know, you're a little girl, girls don't do this. And I was telling them, don't, don't stereotype me. Don't, you know, you should be telling me what I can be instead of telling me what I can't be and I so I became just so oh so hard headed in, in in my spirit. And it was like I I would just close in on me to protect me. I didn't want the outside world, you know, influencing me in a
2: negative in a negative way. Wow. Gosh, geez, man, you're just great. I mean, I know you get people that tell you this, but I'm just loving this conversation. Okay, so you're doing your thing at Rucker Park, you're developing. Is callous the right word, Nancy, in terms of an ability to protect yourself from all of the naysayers?
1: Uh, not for me, uh, the word is, um, death. You have to be deaf because you can't okay. allow the outside noise to influence you or the negativity. And, and really when people are negative towards you, it's because they live in a world of mediocrity. And they don't know any better. They don't know anything about achievement. They go, mm-hmm. they go to work miserable. They wake up miserable. They're miserable with their family or their wife or whoever. And it's it's how they live. And I don't live like that. I, I wake up happy. I wake up thinking how I can inspire somebody. I, I, that's ex- That's exactly how my life is. I thank God in the morning for the ability to have another day. And there's somebody out there that is going through something that maybe I can help them. I can't solve all the world's problems. Um, And I just do the best I can, but you know, I'm an athlete from the eighties and you guys tell me how many athletes from the eighties are relevant in 2019. Mm -hmm. Martina McEnroe, Barkley, Jordan,
2: um, who, Uh, And,
1: and I'm proud. I'm one of
2: them. Yeah. No, for fact, I, I totally got you. I, and you should be very proud of that. Okay, so in the midst of all of these, these early on things that were sort of uncommon, you still were very successful as a women's basketball player on the high school level. You play on the 1975 Olympic team as the youngest Olympian to do it yet. How does that even work? Did they come chase you down from high school or did somebody see you in the park? How did that come about?
1: Oh, it's a good question. I was, you know, like, obviously I had been playing up in Harlem and playing, you know, uh, in the the parks in New York. And when I got to Far Rockaway High School, I was, uh, you know, playing on the the varsity. And one of my coaches called, at the time, um, it was called Olympic House, and there was one in New York. And later on, they told me it was the first Athlete that they received a phone call on that ever truly made the olympic team So I think my gym teacher called over to the olympic house and said we got this, you know, young girl who is um, You know really good and they're like lady. Do you know how many phone calls we get and so they I don't know if that went anywhere, but in 1974 There was a tryout. It was almost like America's Got Talent. There was four areas around the country USA Basketball. It, it, it was a, called ABA USA. So there was a tryout in Queens College and, and three other markets. So I saw a little ad in the Long Island Press and it said tryout U.S. playing three games against Russia. So I just went with like five of my teammates and it was like getting a number to run a marathon. They pinned a number on you. It was free, and there were 250 girls at uh, Queens College in New York and it started at like eight in the morning and ended at six at night and every couple hours they'd make cuts and you would you know run and look at the the number on the wall and hope your number was still alive and i kept doing this now i was only you know 14 and a half 15 years old when i went to this tryout and at the end of the day they picked 20 players for the last scrimmage, 10 on each team. I was on that. And then they selected 10 to go to the USA pre-camp in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So this is where the story changes my life and maybe changes a little bit of the history of women's basketball. I go home that night and I'm like, Mom, 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 you're not gonna believe this. I just made this tryout for this US team and I'm going to Albuquerque. And she goes, honey, I can't put food on the table. How am I gonna fly you to Albuquerque? I'm like, Mom, I have to go. I'm, I I mean, the U.S. team needs me. <laughs> and she's like, uh-huh. So my, my high school principal, my assistant principal, Barbara Sackowitz, she took a can of corn, opened it, cleaned it, ripped the label off, typed on a on an envelope. We're endeavoring to raise $300 to send Nancy to the Olympic tryouts and taped it to the can. That can went door-to-door in Bayswater in Far Rockaway. And they raised money for me. And my uh, high school coach, uh, Larry Morris, to go to Albuquerque. So there were 40 of us, 10 from each of these regions. At the end of three days, I was one of the 10 of the 40 picked to go to the um, to be with the USA team, the national team. And here I am playing against Pat Summit and Ann Myers, and you know I'm 14, 15 years old, and they're proven uh, proven stars. So. I I went, and I went through, and I had my ribs broken on the second day. So I'm getting ready to go home, and the coach is in the car, Alberta Cox, and they're driving me to the airport. And she turns around, because I'm in the back seat, and she goes, now, honey, now you work on your game. We're going to need you in 1980. I'm sitting in the back seat, and I looked at her, and I said, you know, coach, like, I'm not real smart or nothing, because, like, I'm from New York. But I know that 76 comes before 80, and I'm going to be on the 76 team, so you're going to have to get used to me. (laughs) And she just looked at me like, how dare you say that, okay? So I'm always on the other side of fear. I'm not afraid. I respect everybody, and I fear nobody. But I'm always living on the other side of fear. I'm not going to let that rule my life. And I went home and worked my ass off and made the 75 Pan Am team, we won the gold medal and then made the 76 team as a senior in high school when we won, you know, the silver medal. It's crazy, but that's kind of who I am and that's who I am today on this interview. I am not afraid to coach men. I'm not afraid to try to win. I'm not afraid to be in the NBA. It's it's an honor and a privilege what has happened to me in my career. And i don't take it for granted um i'm exactly where i'm supposed to be i'm exactly who i'm supposed to be
2: and those are the words of muhammad ali literally i like i wish we were sort of video conferencing i'm like smiling my eyes my face i'm so expressive along with the story but i just love how Secure and granted, Nancy, like at 60 plus, you've lived the whole life. You've accomplished a ton. But each story you tell, I don't know if you call it fortuitous bounces. I don't know if you would call it faith, divine destination. I'm not sure. But it seems like there were always people in your corner that sincerely supported you. Where do you think that has come from?
1: Anybody who's been great at anything has not done it by themselves. And I've had amazing people. And I say this. You know, when, when people are complaining, women are complaining, well, you know, men are holding us back. I will take the other side and say, that's not true. We are holding us back. You think we ha- I just gave a speech the other day, the keynote at the sports business journals, their national conference in New York. And you know, one of the things was women in leadership and adversity. And I'm like, Adver- adversity is us. We're the obstacles in many cases. We can't keep pointing the finger. And, I mean, to have Ali there, uh, you know, Dr. Buss allowed me, talk about being ahead of your time when he he called me with Jerry West in 1980 to play for the Lakers in their summer league for Pat Riley. I mean, I was Pat's first point guard, not magic. It's crazy uh, to be able to play in the WNBA, to play two years in a men's league. I was hired, you know, by Andy Ekman. When I went to ESPN, you know, I, I I was hired by Norby. Um, I, I, you know, one of my bosses was Bruce Bernstein. Uh, every step of my career, I have been given extraordinary opportunity by men. Donnie Nelson hiring me to be a head coach in the, the D-League, now the G-League. Uh, Vizek Ramadiz and Valade Divac bringing me, you know, bringing me over to um, the Sacramento Kings. And now Ice Cube, you know, uh, hires me to be a head coach in, in um, the big three. It's, it's really important to have those people in your corner and those opportunities. All and all and right. I remember after we, you know, after we won the championship with um Tower uh, a year ago, it was, you know, a couple of weeks later when Ice Cube texted me and he goes, and now, are you ever afraid? And I said, no, sir. I said, the only time I'm ever afraid is when people don't give me an opportunity because I wanted to make, I wanted him to be so proud of me. I wanted Donnie Nelson to be so proud of me. I wanted Vivek and and Vlade to be so proud of me. Quite frankly, I wanted Bruce Bernstein and Norby, you know, uh, to to be proud of of me and the work that I do. I, I never take things for granted.
3: So, Proud of you, Nancy. Come on, come I, I, on. <laughs> back tears, Nancy. He's so touched. Okay, but look. Let's get into this a little
2: bit further, Nancy. Let's go all the way there because I have been fortunate. Obviously, I'm no you, but I've been fortunate to have lots of guys be allies for myself as well. But then we go to various conferences. To your point, and it seems to be rah 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 women versus men. If you were giving a woman in a space, maybe that is still male-dominated, advice, what would it be? Because it sounds like you walk into a room and sort of garner respect, and obviously, again, I'm not you, but I hear some horror stories, in a way, from some of my colleagues, which are things that I've just not had to deal with. And I don't know if it's because of height or the way you carry yourself or whatever. So how would you advise other young women or women, period, in spaces that are not necessarily um, diverse?
1: Well, I think the first thing is, and I got this sage advice um, from David Stern before I was hired a couple of years before that. I was getting ready to go, and I'm going to answer your question, but I was getting ready to go to the Hall of Fame enshrinement in September. And I was talking to David and I felt like I was ready maybe for an opportunity in the NBA and I, I wanted his advice. And he goes, Nancy, you need to go to L.A. You need to go to the NBA coaches symposium because everybody in the league is going to be there. You, you must be around the people that are going to hire you. So the hall of fame is who you were and the people in the NBA is where you want to go. So I will say this to any woman, you have to be around the men that are going to hire you or the people are, who are going to hire you, you must, you know, let them see you're good. You're competent. um, You're sharp. You you have great interpersonal skills with others, and it was really brilliant advice because you never know who your next boss is going to be, and it's your job to make it normal. So if you're a woman and you want to get into business or you want to be a CEO, you have to be around the people and that are going to hire you, vote for you, appoint you, and you, you have to make it normal. And when I got the job with Donnie Nelson in 2010, um, in 2011, President Obama asked me to come to the white house. So I go to the white house, I bring my son and he comes over. He was clearly excited, you know, to be around somebody not politically charged. And you know, he loves hoops and he looks at TJ and he goes, son, can you beat your mom? And he goes, Nope. He goes, well, can I beat your mom? And he goes, Nope. (laughs) President Obama goes, okay. Yeah. tough room." And he goes, Nancy, I've been a black man my whole life it's normal to me. I just happen to be the President of the United States. you've been a white woman your entire life. you've been you know coaching and playing against men and now predominantly you know black men. It's normal to you, and I said, yes, sir, it is normal. He goes, Our job is to make it normal to the world at large. It's not normal to them, and i i I always take that to heart because I know. That it's not normal, but that's what you're doing. That's what I'm doing. That's what Becky's doing. It's all these great female athletes. You know, Serena, the the U.S. soccer team. We're making being a champion. We're making um, competition normal to the outside world. Where the fathers and grandfathers and
2: this next generation are going to be the greatest champions we women have. I love that. I love that, and I think. In order to do that, obviously, as you've demonstrated, there is an, a, an innate confidence that just has to kind of come from within. And I love the way you penned being deaf as a power as opposed to an inadequacy because you really got to lock in with those that buy into who you are and what you bring to the table.
1: You have to be the voice, not the echo.
2: And... I, 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 like I said
1: before, I respect everybody, but I fear nobody because again, maybe it's a minimal, minimalist um, attitude of mine. I could either get hired or not get hired. ESPN could want me to work for them or not want me to work for them. And I don't get all these mind monsters in my head. You know, so many times in life, women, were always stepping on landmines. Oh my God, boom, I'm not a good mom. Boom, I want to work boom dinner wasn't on the table at the right time boom um so and so's mad at me we got to stop stepping on landmines and detonating them ourselves we just have to be confident in what we do that means you have to do your work you can't be just as good you have to be better than you just have to sit in with people uh, you don't get jobs anymore on resumes you get jobs on relationships and just be a good person you know lift when you rise help other people around you be successful and then all of a sudden how you used to think because I was going to be the greatest of all times I was dead set this is what I was going to do I was going to be just like my man and then you know he taught me about racism and he taught me about philanthropy and he taught me about there's two people in life there's givers and takers uh you know uh if you're if you're always catching you're a taker if you're throwing something back you're a giver what are you doing for other people around you and you know to be an influencer i have to give you a reason to follow me not because i make more money or i'm more famous or i have a better title because you see something special in me that you want to emulate and I just don't see, uh, and look, I've made my fair share of mistakes. You know, I'm sure I've been a pain in the ass. Um, If women are a little, you know, alpha, you know, sometimes they could get, you know, get called, you know, things that I don't really want to say where sometimes men are a shining star or they're a silver bullet or my gosh, look how tough and aggressive and he's going to be a star. And if we do it, you know, sometimes like, man, she's a bitch, she's a pain in the ass no we just want we just want success we just want opportunity but we also have to find a balance of how to get to it and then have long-term sustainability you don't want to be a one-hit wonder and and i want to have intentional greatness um every day i wake up i want i don't want to be a dow joneser i don't want to be up i'm down i'm up i'm down i don't want to be on that roller coaster of life i want to be consistently consistent I want to help change people's lives. I want to be great at what I do. And I want every coach in the, the big three to have to work a little bit harder because I set the standards a little bit higher.
2: I love that,
3: Nancy, That's some greatness. Go Bruce, go. <laughs> Nancy, so you talk, you talk about you know the relationships and how important they are. So you've coached women and you've coached guys. Is there any difference in between coaching men and women?
1: The um, normal answer is no, no, Bruce, you know, women and guys are just the same. And that's not the truth. There is a difference um, in in the locker room. There's a difference. There's hormones, there's, there's personality differences and it's okay. You you, you know, I'm not going to treat everybody the same, but I am going to treat them with, with respect. I'm going to be firm, but I'm going to be fair because my job is to push you to places you want to be that you haven't been before so um, I I just think that you know when people look at guys and I'm a a huge supporter protector of the male athlete because they're so close to me you know when Dion Sanders was going to go back and play with the Ravens I mean I got the phone call in the middle of the night sis can you come to the house um, because, you know, he, uh, he needed me to talk to, as his wife at the time, Pilar, about what support system he was going to need. Um, you know, Larry Fitzgerald is a dear friend of mine. You know, I mean, uh, Kobe, when I came back and played at 50, Kobe wanted to know. He wanted to dissect my thought process of why I would come back and risk my reputation. So I get a lot of athletes um, who come to me, male athletes. I think it's it's really important to know that behind these big, strong, um, uber-rich athletes in all sports, male, they're little boys and they want to be loved. They want to be cared for. They want to be protected. They want rules. They wanna they want to be able to have you know their their own autonomy and make their own decisions. But at the end of the day, you have to pour love and kindness and we it's respect is a two-way street. And that's what I try to do. With women, um, it was a little bit uh, different because the WNBA was so new and they're so receptive to information. And they didn't have 15 years under their belt and, and they weren't making you know, millions and millions of dollars. So it was a little bit different. Uh, there was a, a little bit of a willingness and um, kind of openness to, to learn what you were willing to teach them. So it's, there's, it's different people, uh, different journeys, but you're trying to get to the same destination and it's, you just have to be cognizant of how to talk to people and how to care for people. It's like having, you know, three or four kids, you're not going to treat all those children the same way. But at the end of the day, you must lead with love because there's a reason like DeMarcus cousins comes to a big three game or Rondo and I talk or, Dylan Alley or Omri Caspi or the guys, you know, Steph Curry calls me and says, can you come to my camp? I want you to talk to my kids. There's a reason. It, it, I, I still get goosebumps, you know, when people like that, you know, come and talk to me or, you know, respect that I get from,
2: you know, so many people, both men and women. What is your take on the overall state of basketball as far as this country is concerned. The NBA is, I mean, I feel like it's getting some of the most attention that it's ever gotten in terms of its international acclaim. Obviously, I wasn't around back in the day, but it, that's the way it seems to me. The WNBA is growing in um, audience. It seems to be exponentially. There are still some issues at hand in terms of the way the leagues support one another. But just in general, what do you see in terms of the growth of just American basketball across the board?
1: Well the biggest difference is uh, the the are you know, 50 years ahead of uh, the WNBA. But if you look at it, you know, um apples to apples, when the NBA started, they were playing in the armory. They were playing in front of 2 3000 people. I remember I think it was in the early 60s, maybe 67, 68 when Phil Jackson signed a guaranteed contract with the Knicks for 12,000 and 13,000. When the WNBA started, Back in the day, it was pretty spectacular. We were playing in major arenas. We were on ESPN, the worldwide leader in sports. We had enormous support from the NBA. So if you look at our starting point, we were so far ahead of where the men were as far as salaries. You know, our salaries were 40,000 50,000 for the top players, you know, as opposed to where the men were starting, you know, way back uh, when the NBA started. So. Uh, I think we have to keep things in perspective. Uh, the WNBA is continuing to grow, you know, putting more seats, you know, people in the seats, getting more sponsorship, uh, as far as, you know, building relationships with major, uh, companies, uh, certainly the ratings are going up. They just signed a, a contract with CBS to give them more national exposure. We're still in the baby, in in year 23, we're still in the baby stages of who we are. Um, But we are ahead of where the men are. Now, if you're going to compare, and I I did see, I think Asia Wilson or somebody said, you know, why can't we make, you know, similar to what the men make? Uh, At this point, their widgets sell better than our widgets. Um, And they, they get 50%, I believe, of um, revenues, and the WNBA gets somewhere in the neighborhood of 20%. But it, it's 20% of what what is the league bringing in. So th- we're just at two different stages of our business plan, but things have to change. I I, I do think it's going to happen in collective bargaining. Um, I am on a you know on some boards and committees in regard to that. You know, w- with the players and the players' association. I think you're gonna see a very favorable deal adam silver uh he's very much a proponent like David Stern was for women's sports. He wants this to to continue to grow he'd give anything for it to grow, so we have to figure out you know a collective way of okay we're still we're you know we're moving the sticks, but we are you know have to be mindful of what's coming in and what's going out um So we'll see, you know, I I selfishly think there should be health insurance for former uh, WNBA players who are now 23 years later. Now that the NBA is the first league in history to have health insurance for all alumni, you know, former players, I think that through the NBRPA, the RPA and the league, that is a unbelievable distinction. And you have great people, man, you got great people. Adam Silver is the greatest commissioner in sports. And he cares and he wants women to grow. I mean, he's the guy that got up there months ago and said, "Uh, I want a female head coach in the NBA sooner than later. That's your boss saying that. So I think this is, uh, we're on the right track. But, you know, I'm not a big fan of we're going to have a conversation because I think when you say we're going to have a conversation, you haven't said anything. I would like to see an action. I would like to see an action to the next level of what, you know, WNBA players get in their contract. Instead of, let's talk about it some more. I I think that's, you know, that's just a bunch of nonsense. We have to have more discussion. Discussion means you haven't done anything. And it's just, it's like a stall stall tactic.
3: I mean, I think we've seen some progress recently, right, with uh, the WNBA teams that are kind of the final four in the playoffs. Getting charter flights. I mean, how important is how how important of a sign is that to you?
1: It's huge. It is absolutely huge, and we can't just kind of poo-poo it. Uh, something like that is so important in taking care of your players or sending your player home to get treatment because you're going to need her, you know, somewhere down the road in a pivotal game. It's going to happen, and I have to tell you. For all the amazing young women that are in the, the WNBA today, I, on some level, you're just like me. You're a pioneer and you're, 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 you're getting an amazing opportunity right now, but you're setting the plate for somebody two decades ahead of you who's going to make half a million dollars a year, who's going to be on chartered flights, who's going to have health insurance for the rest of her life. That's what being a pioneer is. It, you, you either embrace it or it sucks <laughs> and you have to embrace it. It's just how we, where we were born and it's okay. You know, I mean, I was uh, with Barkley uh, at the hall of fame a couple of weeks ago and I think the most he ever made was like $3 million when he, it, that was the highest he ever made in his playing days, And these guys are making 20, $25 million, you know, a day, uh, a season. I mean, Charles Barkley isn't mad. It's just, it's the way it is. It's how it, it's happened in life. And he and Michael, and, they set the, the plate for the Zions and the R.J. Barrett. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just the way it is. And we're pioneers. Look, I mean, Bruce Bernstein, look where ESPN started back in 1979. Somebody had to make some sacrifices for where it is today.
3: That's true. And that's what we're trying to do here with Pure Hoops Me a shameless plug as we try and build our little franchise from the ground up. You've been so generous with your time. I did want to ask you about your son TJ. You've always been a male athlete, and and he's certainly got to be one of your fa- favorite male athletes. I know he played ball at Richmond. Is he playing pro ball somewhere overseas right now?
1: Yes. Thank you for talking about my son because I'm most proud of what he's done. You know, he was least likely to ever make anything of himself he was this like you know white doughy you know privileged (laughs) just kidding on the privilege but um you know kid playing in high school and then his junior year the light went on and he decided this is what he really wants to do so he the first thing is he took care of his body and everything else followed you know he he gets finally gets a scholarship to college. He goes to Niagara. They they do a great job. They win the Mac. Uh, Coach Mahalik goes to Hofstra and then TJ transfers to Richmond and and everything changed exponentially right then. He busted his behind, you know, three years later, he was the A-10 player of the year, Um, had an amazing career at Richmond and I'm so proud of him. He's played the last two years of summer league with the Milwaukee Bucks and he's in uh, Tel Aviv. He plays for Halon. Uh, Three years ago, they won the Israeli cup for the first time in like a hundred years. And that's something that's usually reserved for um, Maccabi Tel Aviv or Jerusalem, the very, very high budget teams. But he's back there for his third year and I'm just so proud of him. And he played on the Israeli national team uh, last year for the first time. In the works of world cup qualifiers so every every experience for him is helping to develop you know the man he is and he just loves the game and he works so hard at it and i'm 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 a proud mother uh to be quite honest whatever we do in our career when your kid does something really spectacular that's all that matters and um you know i i love him i'm proud of him and you know, I want to be TJ's hero. I don't really care about anybody else.
2: I bet that you have definitely achieved and exceeded that for him. It's funny because I was actually covering the A-10. Um, I covered the A-10 for about three years, but I remember when TJ picked up um, Player of the Year award and that squad, Chris Mooney and those guys. Um, I can't remember the point guard that he played with. I can see his face, but Sean, I can't. Yeah, Chandra Jones, they yep. played in the TBT this year together. I was just to say that I saw them in Chicago this summer. I was out taking in some TBT action. Nancy, you've been nothing short of incredible, and you've already accomplished so much. And I know that your motto, what was it? It was uh, learn, earn, and return. Is that Was that what you said? Yeah, learning, earning, returning. Okay, there we go. But moving forward, I mean, you've got, you're so young, vibrant, a wealth of wisdom. Do you have any goals moving forward?
1: Um, I just kind of let God put what's out in front of me right now and make sure that I'm prepared for those opportunities. Um, uh, You know, I I love coaching. I just love taking people and getting them to, you know, their ultimate destination, getting them that, you know, the the contract uh, that they want you know, if you can have three or four contracts in your career, it, you've hit the Willy Wonka golden ticket and you can give your family generational wealth, uh, that that's really important to me to, to help people succeed. And uh, I think lastly, you know, my charity, um, we are a children's charity and we're changing kids lives and we affect over 4 million children a year with our dream court program. Uh, we build, Dream courts in in cities around the country. We've we've built 84 so far. Um, we're seeing that kids that are playing and starting uh, to be involved in sports are getting you know staying out of the mental health space. They're like less likely to be involved with g- uh, gang activity. They're showing up at school and they're feeling more confident about themselves. Uh, we've sent f- 55 high school seniors to college since 2012. And we now have two graduating classes. Uh, In February, we'll send another 10 uh, to college. And we're just trying to do our fair share uh, to help the next generation. And that's part, it's part of who I am. And it it just makes me happy. You kind of have to know the power you don't know you have. And Mm -hmm. you have the power to influence other people's lives. And all I can say about sports, if the rest of the world were like us, there'd be no problem with anger and hate, because I've never come down the court and looked at a white person or a black person and went, yeah, I'm going to go to the white person. No, that's nonsense. It, 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 when you're in sports, there's this love, there's this camaraderie, there's fellowship, there's competitiveness, there's swag and ego and determination, and... You know, there's all sorts of people in my locker room and who gives a rat's behind if I look different, who cares as mm-hmm. long as we can, can be there and help each other. And and that's really important to me also, especially in, in this crazy time in our country where so many people are angry. They get up, they don't even know why they're angry. And they're angry because they read in the newspaper, they should be angry. And it's like, stop it, man. Stop being influenced by people who just want to fight let's get along let's help each other let's be prosperous let's pick people up and and show them another avenue in life
2: i love that that's what my
1: goals are that's what my goals are
2: listen and i have no doubt that you of anybody we've interviewed on our podcast or any any athlete that's still relevant from the 80s as you pointed out you are definitely woman who can continue to accomplish those goals and make headway as you already have done. Nancy, thank you so much for your time today. This was absolutely incredible.
1: Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on and maybe it'll be the, the first of many.
2: All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. I cannot thank Nancy Lieberman enough for being so generous with her time. Those of us who play the game owe her so much. She's absolutely a pioneer, a role model, a legend, all of those fantastic things. I personally am adopting, learn, earn, and return for sure. Thanks to my loyal sidekick and producer extraordinaire, as well as Nancy's good pal, Bruce Bernstein. I'm so jealous that they're friends. Of course, we thank our editor, Ben Wolfen, who is also extraordinary for all of his creative contributions. Please make sure that you check out all of our Pure Hoops media shows. Mike Wise's guest this week is another Hall of Famer, Dave Cowens. Catch and Shoot has one of its best up shows and the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman has a new episode every Friday. Please rate, review all of our shows and make sure you tell a friend. Next week, we'll be into the WNBA finals so we'll have lots of discussion and analysis. Until then, my people... Enjoy your hoops. Buckets, Boards and Blocks with Monica McNutt has been a presentation
3: of Pure Hoops Media. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles. (laughs) and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence.